Well, as I've said, we're, fin- we're continuing this series, The Songs of Christmas. Uh, about a month ago, uh, you probably wouldn't know this, and I wouldn't have known it unless I was looking for something else and tripped across it. Microsoft Corporation set the Guinness World Record for the quietest place on earth. The quietest place on earth. They have constructed a soundproof room, and if you're like a sound, the, the four people in the room that might even know what this means, and I'm not one of them, uh, a, 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 apparently the decibel reading in the room is negative 20. So that sounds like awesome, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what it is any other time, but it's like negative 20. So this room has been affectionately called the place where sound goes to die. <laughs> I just like that. Oh, it sounds cool. The place where sound goes to die. Yeah, I like that. Sounds, sounds awesome. The room is so quiet, you can hear your own heartbeat. It's so quiet that you can hear your lungs expand and contract as the air moves in and out of them. So basically, all of the sound has been removed, and you become the only source of sound inside the room. Now, I was just thinking about that because uh, our oldest son, who's sitting right here this morning, uh, when he was first born, he had a really rough three weeks of life right after birth. You have any babies that are rough? He didn't sleep all night for about three weeks, and I was thinking, if I could find the place where sound goes to die, if I'd have known that that existed, I could have, like, put him in it, and then, you know, seen that would have done anything. How many of you have ever had a baby that cried too much? Yes, you know what I'm saying. And how many of you know it's not much is too much? Yes. So apparently being totally soundproof is a bigger deal than you might think. 30 minutes in this room and people start to hallucinate. Hallucinate. It's actually said that 30 minutes in this room could, could turn some people, could drive you to insanity. Because there's no register around you about anything, anything else that's going on in your life. The world record for a person sitting in this room, now not this one, because uh, up until a month ago, uh, there was an old one that had the world record. I think it was negative nine decibels or something. The world record in that one was 45 minutes. Nobody's been able to survive in the room longer than 45 minutes. They go, start going crazy and they want out. Can you imagine this? Without sound, it's like the world is closing in on you and you become claustrophobic. Now, you may not know this, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament... There was a gap of 400 years where nothing was written. Like as far as we know, God didn't communicate with people. He didn't say anything. Nothing is written. We have no scripture. There's a 400-year gap. And I was just thinking about this place where sound goes to die and how disturbing it is to have no sound, how disturbing it must have been to have no voice to have no message from God there was no scripture written there was no message there's no direction it was just quiet this emptiness and deafening silence was what it was like on earth just before Jesus was born so during these silent years some of God's people were holding on to hope some of them were just uh, (coughs) working their way through stale religious rituals some of them weren't even trying to hear they'd just given up And King Herod ran a very corrupt government. There was a lot of immorality and wickedness was rampant. The spiritual life of Israel was uh, very weak and poor. And it was into this silence, though, it was into this void that God began to speak. God began to talk. 
And he began to communicate with his people again. And so we, we, we started this series called um, the, the Songs of Christmas because when God would begin to speak after 400 years of silence, a lot of people in response to God's words sang songs. A lot of them responded with songs. And so the first Christmas had about four songs associated with it, and we've been looking at those. But let me just remind you what we said last week is that song is God's invitation to know Him. So this morning when we stand and sing, it's your breath in my lungs. What we're saying is, God, I'm responding, I'm answering. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, from my voice, my words, my thoughts, my I'm singing, I'm participating, I'm engaged. I'm hearing your invitation and I'm answering. And that's, that's kind of how song works. So when we sing, we participate and get involved, and the words start to influence our thinking, and the words start to change our focus, and we start communicating with God. Now, as I said, there are four songs at the first Christmas. We're going to look at the Christmas story through the lens of those four songs and see the wonder of Jesus' birth. So Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I want to just simply tell you the story that gave birth to the song, the first song at Christmas. And then I just want to give you a couple of thoughts, and that's it. So the first song was born out of this story. A priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth uh, lived during this time of silence and void. And if we could sort of color their lives this morning, we would color it gray. It was cloudy, like a dark, cold winter's, winter's evening. But they had a lot more deafening silence in their life other than just this gap where God didn't speak. Uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah weren't able to have a baby. And so in that time period, to not be able to have a baby was, was considered maybe not as heavy as a curse, but kind of like a curse. Because to have a baby was seen as a blessing from God. And if you weren't able to have a baby, then there must be something wrong with you. Or God must be mad at you, or he's punishing you, you got secrets in or something. And so they, were, they really felt like they were out of the loop. And I was just thinking about how they suffered in a culture where having a baby was a blessing and probably there were only a few people that couldn't have babies or didn't and how, how painful their suffering must have been because they suffered alone. And I was thinking about, uh, I call that silent pain. Uh, it's silent because it's hard to express. There aren't people around you that understand what you're going through. And I was thinking, you know, there are probably some people here this morning without a doubt that maybe you have silent pain in your life that's similar to what they were going through. Maybe, maybe your silent pain is infertility. Maybe your silent pain is uh, miscarriage or the loss of a child or a loved one that... the loss of a loved one that nobody else around you seems to understand. When you're suffering, the world just sort of goes on and nobody knows what you're going through. Maybe your family's broken or your son or daughter's turned rebellious and, and they're, they're separated from you or away from God. Maybe you've had financial struggles that have stripped away your dignity and so you suffer silently when it seems like everybody else has everything that they need but you don't. Maybe you're single and lonely and you wonder how long is it going to be before you find the right person. However it looks, silent pain is some of the worst because you're constantly wondering when's the answer going to come, wondering how long you have to wait, tired of trying to explain the unexplainable so you don't even try anymore, you just gave up. It's silent pain. It's heavy, it's personal, it's lonely. 
Like Zechariah, you've been waiting for something to change and looking for an answer, and you're tired of waiting, and it just seems like God is saying nothing. just seems like he's not even working or moving or there or understands or cares. Like we said before the song, Little Town of Bethlehem, I can't register God in any of my senses. It just seems like no matter how hard I pray or how long I try or how long this has been, nothing happens. Well, Zechariah was a, was a priest, as we said. He served in a company of priests that, that was uh, 20,000 large. 20,000 priests. This isn't a small group. This is a giant group of people. But the 20,000 priests were subdivided in little groups. And two weeks out of every year, um, his group would be called upon to go into the temple and do their priestly duties. They would put incense on the altar and, and all of that. So you can imagine with 20,000 people, the way they decided who would be the one to go in by themselves. One priest was chosen from each company of the 20,000 each year. And, and so you can imagine uh, the, uh, how the chances of you getting to do this. So the way they decided is, is they would do a drawing. And if you won the drawing, when it was your group's turn, you got to go in and do the, do the priestly duties by yourself. So as it would happen... Uh, Zechariah won the drawing and he got to go in and to do the priestly duties and so this is something that he would have uh, that would only happen once in your entire lifetime I mean I can't imagine a priest ever doing it twice maybe but there were, there were some priests of the 20,000 lived their whole life and never got the drawing once like it never came their turn so Zechariah's an old man he's waited for this moment I want you to picture this all of his life he enters the holy place alone. And can you imagine he's entering a, a, a room he's never been in? He's never seen inside. He doesn't know what it looks like, but it's this sacred and this holy place that he's gone into by himself. And he has trained for this moment all his life. This is his profession. This is his trade. This is part of what he's been training for his whole life, to go into this room and to do his priestly duties and to pour the incense on the altar and all of that. And so his job was to go into the room and pour incense on a live coal on the altar. So as he approaches the coal, waves of heat rose from the glowing embers. And as he's taking the steps and working through his order, and impassioned prayers are flowing from his lips. With one motion, he lifts the container and he poured the incense on the coals, enveloping the billowing ambrosial cloud all around him. Suddenly, through the mist... In this holy, sacred moment that he's entered alone, he realizes he's not alone. He looks through the cloud, and he sees a person standing in the room with him. And it's not a person, it's an angel. And it's not just any angel, it's an archangel. And it's not just any archangel, it's Gabriel. And Gabriel basically says to Zechariah, Your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a baby and you need to name the baby John because he's going to be a prophet that God sent to tell everyone that Jesus is coming. Now, that's the backstory. Now let's just look at Luke chapter 118 and let's see from this backstory comes this song of Christmas. So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Okay, stop right there. Zechariah is saying, as afraid as I am and as impressed as I am, 
this is not my first rodeo. I've been waiting for this moment all my life. I'm old. My wife's old. We're too old to have a baby. And I don't really think it's going to happen. How do I know this is true? Basically, what, now I want you to imagine the backdrop again. He's saying, 400 years on earth, God hasn't spoken. 400 years. My wife and I are old. We've been waiting all our life to have a baby. And we've never been able to have a baby. For hundreds of years before the 400, human history has been waiting for Jesus to be born. And you expect me to believe that the one day my name was drawn to go into the holy place and pour the incense on the altar? You expect me to believe that those hundreds of years of waiting is over and 400 years of no voice of God is over and our years of waiting to not have a baby is all over like that? That's what you're expecting me to believe? God's about to answer all of that. Why them? Why, why, why there? Do you find the longer you've been waiting on God to do something, the harder it is to believe Him? Like when you pray and you ask and you read and you claim Scripture and you quote Scripture and you whatever it is that you do that you think gets God to do what He needs to do. Do you find the longer you do that and nothing changes, the harder it is to trust? Am I the only one that has that challenge? Do you find it's hard the longer you've prayed and waited and longed and nothing changes and nothing changes and nothing changes and no matter what you do, nothing seems to be working and you can't detect God in your five senses? You can't see Him, you can't hear Him, it doesn't seem like anything's changing and it's discouraging. It's just discouraging. So imagine Zechariah, after all these years of waiting, is standing face to face with the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel is telling him what's going to happen. He goes, I don't know about that. Not so sure. That's a good deal. In the Greek language, Zechariah was using emphatic words. You can't pick it up in the English, but it was very emphatic. He's not saying, how will I know this is going to happen? Here's what he's actually saying. I don't believe you. That would be a better translation. I don't believe you. So, so Gabriel spoke back to him in the same emphatic language. Uh, verse 19, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So what is Gabriel saying? Okay, Zechariah saying, well, I'm old. He says, well, I'm Gabriel. We've been trying a long time. I stand in the presence of God. I'm telling you, I was in the throne room when he said it. I heard the words come off of his lips. So you got this, you got this em emphatic thing that happens. And Gabriel almost confronts Zechariah in this moment in the Holy of Holies and says, do you believe God or not? Wait a minute. You know what I found out about life? A lot of it boils down to that question right there. Do you believe God or not? Not can you control the future or do you know the future? I can't do that and I don't know that. I don't even know how God's going to work it out. But do you believe God's going to work it out or not? Can I just tell you, a lot of life boils down to that right there. 
When I can't see, when I can't hear, when I can't feel, when nothing seems to be moving and I say, God, I'm doing everything that I think that your word tells me I ought to do and nothing is changing. And the angel says, are you going to believe God or not? But it's been 400 years. But you don't know what I've gone through. Are you going to believe God or not? Verse 20, and now you will be silent... And not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. So the years of silence have built up a lot of doubt in Zechariah's heart. The years of waiting and wondering and praying and seeing nothing have built up a lot of doubt in Zechariah's heart. So God says, if you're, if you're going to be a cynic about the silence, then how about some more? Let's start with yours. Maybe you don't get to talk anymore. And so for nine months, Zechariah is silent. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, what's taking him so long? There had to be a woman there. What's taking him so long? Why is he still in there? I told him to wait right here. I was going to the bathroom. I'll be right back. What is he doing in there? When he came out, he could not speak to them. Remember? He can't get his voice taken away. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. Not sure how they got that. They saw the light under the curtain, or, you know, I don't know what happened. Vision, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Is this funny to anybody other than me? Like, this is hilarious. This guy has been training and waiting all his life to go into this holy room and pour the incense on the altar and do his priestly deal. He's been waiting. And when he's in there, he sees a man, not a man, an angel, not an angel, an archangel, not an archangel. He sees Gabriel. And the God who hadn't spoken 400 years talks to him and he comes out and he can't even tell anybody. This is fun. It's like if you golf by yourself, you have a hole in one and you go, well, nobody will believe me. He can't even tell anybody. This is like the original Sarage. Can you imagine? He comes out going, sounds like, sounds like, sounds like, angel, angel, halo, angel, halo. Can you imagine what he must be doing? That's what it says. Is that what it says or not? It says he's making signs. I don't know what. Maybe that he starts flashing gang signs. You don't believe me? I'm coming. I mean, he had an attitude problem. We know that. So now Zachariah's going to have nine months to learn how to listen. He can't talk. About nine months later, the baby's born. Eight days after the baby's born, the whole town comes together for the circumcision ceremony. Because this is the big day when the baby's going to be circumcised and dedicated and given his name. That's very important. So in their culture, the baby's not named until eight days. So here is mute Zechariah at the party, still waving his hands. <laughs> Still trying to communicate. And if you, if you read some of the scripture we're skipping over today, you can see and he's upgraded to a tablet. Now he's communicating with a tablet. I don't know if it was an iPad. I'm not sure what kind of tablet it was. But he's, he's upgraded to some kind of tablet. And he's writing things down and showing them to him. You know, still communicating. And, and the eighth day is there. The circumcision happens. The celebration happens. The uh, crowd gathers around. And now's the discussion on what are we going to name the, the child. And Zechariah 
having learned to listen now, takes his little writing utensil out and he writes down on the board, his name will be John. Flips it around he shows him. And when he writes, his name will be John, the Holy Spirit opens his mouth. And for the first time in nine months, he begins to talk and to speak and to praise God. And he sings the first song of Christmas. The guy hadn't spoken nine months. And the first thing he says is a song. Luke chapter 1 verse 67 His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Now, I don't know what the beat was, but that was the song. The first line to the song says something very important. Praise be to the God of Israel because he has come to his people. That's a very interesting phrase if you look it up in the Greek. Are you familiar with the place in the Bible where Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was, um, uh, 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 I was sick and you, you ca- or, uh, I was thirsty and you gave me a cup of cold water. Remember that? It's the same word there as it is here. It means to personally visit. When I, was, when I was hungry, you personally visited me. When I was naked, you personally came and brought me clothes. When I was thirsty, you personally came and brought me cold water. When I was in prison, you personally came and you didn't send, you came and personally visited me. And what he's saying is, blessed and praised be the God of heaven because he has personally come to earth and visited us. Very personal. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend that because we're uh, this side of Christmas by a couple thousand years. But the prophet predicted Jesus' birth, but for hundreds of years, nothing happened. For 400 years, there was quiet. And for hundreds of years before that, all these prophets in the Old Testament are saying, Jesus is going to be born, Jesus is going to be born, Jesus is going to be born. And it's not happening, but watch, 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 watch. It's not a little bit of time, it's a lot of time. It's not like a couple of years go by or a decade or a lifetime. Lifetimes went by. Children were born and they would raise up and they would become parents and they would become grandparents and maybe some of them even became grand, great-grandparents and they would die. And their kids would die and their grandkids would die and their great-grandkids would die and nothing happened. Just more messages that Jesus is going to be born. But nothing happened until we went to a 400 years of blackout. 
Seems like things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. Seems like we're not getting closer to the birth of Jesus. We're getting farther away. I'm not even sure he meant it. And there comes this cynicism in Zechariah and the people. So Zechariah's song, watch this, is all about the faithfulness of God over a long amount of time. Not in the immediate, a long time. The cynic has turned into a songwriter. He's celebrating God's work across these centuries because it is now clear in hindsight. Do you find that God's work in your life is always clear in hindsight? You know how many times have I heard this story? I had no idea when that happened that that was God's work. I didn't know God was doing that. So he looks down at his eight-day-old son, John, and he knows that Jesus is coming and help is on the way. So I just want to wrap up this morning and give you two thoughts. They're probably so easy to remember, you probably don't even need to write them down, but you can. Here's the first one. God has a plan. God has a plan. You've heard the phrase, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. We live in a time with such a short attention span, with such short memory. Our, our culture is all about consuming and reacting and the drama of the moment, no perspective. And I'm not making a political statement of any kind. I'm just saying, let's take one current issue and see how extremists on both sides react to it. Uh, look, look at the issue of climate change. If you, if you have one day that's more hot than normal, what do we hear? This is a record-breaking heat wave. The polar ice caps are melting. The entire earth is about to spontaneously combust. We have to shut everything off today. Stop using hairspray. Unplug your electronics. It's got to end now. On the other hand, let one day be colder than it's supposed to be. Oh, I, thought, I thought the climate was changing. I mean, why is it so cold today that the climate's changing? The planet's about to freeze to death. My, my feet are, my toes are cold. You really think that you've got, like, a perspective on thousands of years of weather patterns because your toes are cold today? Really? And, and, and then look, and then the church, I mean, don't laugh because we got our own issues. We've got our own drama. A natural disaster plows into the mainland. A dictator is overthrown. A ship appears in foreign water, and then all of a sudden, what do you hear? Hashtag, now the end begins. I just got to tell you, if I read anybody else say hashtag now then begins, I'm going to take my computer out in the street and I'm going to drive over it with my car. <laughs> I'm done with now the end begins. As if any one of our little peon selves has the perspective of thousands of years of history to actually determine when God's going to put his finger on the earth and we know the day the end begins. How would you and I even know that? The end begins. Oh, are you kidding me? The mark of the beast is coming for us all. Tribulation and seals of revelation have been opened and placed. I've got ants on my kitchen counter now. That's maybe one of the seals. How do I know? <laughs> of course there's disasters. Of course there's challenging circumstances. Of course there's sickness and war and persecution. Our bodies are going to age and we're going to die. This is what happens. But when we become so short-sighted, we try to make things work out. We try to understand. We try to control. But this song in Zechariah, it's, it's his epiphany that God has a plan. And his plan is worked out across all time. And it is sure, and it is steady, and it is moving, and he will not repent, and he will not relent, and he will not change his mind. 
His plan is working. That's what Zechariah's song is saying. God has a plan. He has everything under control. And he's about to bring his plan into being. For those of you this morning who are suffering with silent pain, I have good news for you. God has a plan and he's not going to change his mind. And he's working on it whether you can feel it or not. Can you rest this morning in his plan? Here's the second thought. Just like the first one. God has a plan and you're part of it. I, I love this verse, uh, verse uh, 76. Zechariah is singing his song and he says to John, his eight-day-old eight baby, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Zechariah and Elizabeth's own little son, before, watch, before he was even aware that he was alive, He's eight days old. God has already declared that he has a plan for him. In his unawareness, God is not unaware. God already has a plan for him. That means that God has a plan for Zechariah and God has a plan for Elizabeth and God has a plan for John. God chose Elizabeth and Zechariah and God chose John. But here's what I am afraid of when I say things like that. That what you hear is, oh yeah, but he was, they were chosen to be the parents of John who was like the guy that ran before Jesus and told the whole world. That's really important. That's, that's incredible. He was chosen for some. I, I'm not chosen. God hasn't picked me to do anything. I mean, those are important things. I'm not a pastor or a leader or this or whatever, whatever you want to say. Whatever it is that you want to say in your mind. I'm not, I'm not any of these things. So, I, but here's what I want you to understand. I don't think that God has chosen people and then just these random Christians floating like Cheerios in an old bowl of milk. I don't believe there are random people in God's family or kingdom. There are specific people. And he has a specific plan. And he's chosen you and he's called you. Do you know what he called you for? Do you know what it is that he's chosen you to do? Do you know what it is that he's, that he's called you to do? The older I get, the more convinced I become how specific God's love is. God announced the good news of the birth of Jesus, that a light's going to shine in the darkness in the world, and, and that process keeps happening. You and I get to shine that light in the world. We get to shine it. Do you know that 50 people prayed to receive Jesus in Scrooge the last two nights? Do you know that a light has shined in Shelby County and people are coming to that light and receiving Christ and the darkness is floating away? And do you know some of you invited them? And some of you prayed for them? And some of you invested? And some of you reached out? And some of you served? Some of you did and this morning when we came to this baptism thing and nine people came to faith in Jesus, you're telling me? You're telling me you weren't chosen for anything? How much more important can you get than that? We stood and celebrated this morning the new birth, the resurrection life of nine people. Don't fall asleep on Jesus. Don't think because it doesn't look the way you thought it should that it's unimportant. Don't think because you can't taste it or touch it or feel it or see it. I, I have a, a dear friend of mine. I went to college with him. And I won't tell you any 
thing specific because it's just a very it's a very sensitive um, it's a very sensitive story it's very personal to him for two and a half years he's been in a church setting where he's been suffering he's a pastor now look this this isn't a guy that got saved last month and he's just trying to work out his new faith he's a pastor his dad was a pastor and, and his dad was a bivocational pastor all his life worked a job and then worked at the church and all the hours he wasn't working somewhere else and his granddad was a pastor this guy's third generation pastor and he's one of the most authentic and real and just good good people you'd ever meet and he's been in this setting in this jam where he can't get out and it's it's unbelievably complicated and unbelievably um, just wearing him out and over the last two and a half years, he and I have talked about ten times. And he'll call me sometimes. And, and I, I went through something similar to what he's going through. And um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago we were on the phone talking. And I've never had this moment, but I just, I just felt so impressed. Have you ever had one of these moments where you're almost saying what you need to say before you know, before you intended to? And I knew God was just leading me. And I said, can I just tell you something? I said, let me tell you the problem with where you are. The problem with where you are is you've suffered so long, you've struggled so hard, you're so tired, you're so frustrated, you're so worn out, it's so complicated what you're going through that you're in a place where emotionally you can't feel God, you can't sense God, it, nothing, it doesn't seem like God's doing anything, like you've prayed and you've tried and you've done the right thing and you've been a godly person and you've operated in integrity and you've said what you needed to say and you've not said what you didn't need to say and you're just worn out, beat down like a drum. I've been there, I know what you're feeling and the problem is in that moment you can't feel, hear, taste, see, smell God. It's like He's nowhere. I said, but that doesn't mean He's not working. And I just want to encourage you, please, you won't feel it. When I say it, you won't feel it. You won't feel anything. I promise you, I can tell you before I say it, you're going to feel nothing. It won't even register with you emotionally because you're worn out. But let me, let me just say it anyway. Please trust me. God's working. I promise God's working. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm telling you God's working. And i got to be honest, in the setting He's in, we were coming to a point where I thought, this is going to end soon bad. And it's not going to work out. I thought God was going to have to work it out somewhere else. I thought, I knew God was going to work it out somewhere. I just didn't think it was going to be there. Last week, he called me. Two and a half years. He called me and he said, hey, guess what? What? It's over. What? No, 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 no. I'm like Zachariah. No, no, no. No, no, it's two and a half years. We're too old for this. No, wait. What do you mean it's over? And it's over. You're never going to believe what happened. And then he started telling me. And I forgot what I had told him two weeks before that. And I said, hey, you know what just popped into my mind? Remember two weeks ago when we had that conversation and we both were pretty sure it was close to the end? This is almost over? I mean, it bad over? Isn't it funny how close you were to it being over in a good way, in God's way, and yet you felt nothing? Isn't it something how close this all was to being resolved and God knew it was going to happen and He had a plan and He was working it, but you couldn't feel a thing. You lived in a void of emptiness. You lived in a place where sound goes to die. That's how it felt in your soul. But God 
was two weeks from ending it all. God, isn't that weird? How do we, how do we, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the song we sang a minute ago, O Little Town of Bethlehem, when they slept in their bed and had no idea that tonight was any different than any other night the world had ever seen. God hadn't spoke for 400 years, and by the way, if he was going to, he wasn't in Bethlehem because this is this little town that means nothing. But he did. Is it possible that God's working in your scenario and situation in incredible ways? The greatest miracle the world had ever seen was born in Bethlehem on a night that nobody even recognized it. Is it possible God is working in your scene in profound ways and because you can't register it in your senses, you've become tired and weary and exhausted and and maybe even a little cynical and believe that maybe God, maybe you're ready to give up. But is it possible God's either a couple of weeks away or maybe even He's already done it and you just hadn't seen it yet. But I'm telling you, what God does in the invisible, you will see in the visible. You will see it. It's in His plan. Would you stand with me? I want to ask all our prayer team if you'd come now. And, and before we go, I just want to pray with you. It's so important, it's so important that you respond to the invitation of God to come in this moment and know Him. If, if you're, um, if at all possible, would you just find a place you can stand comfortably and, and, uh, and unless you just absolutely have to, please don't leave. Just, just hang with me for a couple minutes. I'm going to invite you to prayer. We're going to go. Every eye closed in the room. This is the moment that matters. This is the moment where things change. This is the moment where our faith starts to grow again. Maybe this morning you're hearing you say, I've been asking God, I've been pleading, I've been praying, I've been hoping, I've been reaching out, but it seems like nothing is changing. And I just want to ask God today, to help my faith would you just lift your hand and say that's me man I got a need in my life yeah 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 just lift it up all over the room I got a need in my life and I've been wondering how long how long is this going to take how much longer we got to wait how many more good things do I got to do is there, is there something I'm supposed to be doing I'm not doing why isn't anything changing God help me help my faith help me to believe you would you just lift that hand up real high and say that's me I've got that need today. I've got it. And I need God's help. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got a need in my life and I've not even prayed over it one time. I've not even asked God. I've never even talked to God about it. But boy, as we're talking this morning, something's welling up inside my heart and I realize I need to talk to God about this. Would you just lift your hand if that's you and say, I need to talk to God about this. I need God's help on it. I need God's help in my faith. Would you just lift your hand and let me see it? Yeah, I see it. Yeah, in the back, I see it. Thank you. Yeah, man, it's time. It's time for me to stop working on this by myself and it's time for me to ask God for his help. I see your hand on the balcony, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you, if you lifted your hand, I'm gonna pray and I want you to come. This prayer team has been praying this morning and they would love nothing more than to pray with you and encourage you. And I'm telling you, when you take that step toward God, he's gonna grow your faith 
and strengthen you today. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your grace and peace and goodness. I thank you for the songs of Christmas. I thank you for your invitation to know you. I thank you that you're working this morning regardless of how we feel. I'm grateful that your work's not dependent upon my feelings and my senses. You can work with me or without me or around me or through me. And you're going to keep doing it no matter what I do. And I'm so comforted this morning by your stubbornness to work your plan out in love. As the worship team begins to sing, you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. I want you to take a step right now. And I want you to let the prayer team pray with you. Say, help my faith. Help my faith, God. Help my faith.